0: Salam guys, I'm Mossin. welcome to this episode of Millionaire Muslim. Before we get into this episode, we just wanted to spend a few seconds telling you about Islamic Finance Guru, or IFG for short. Mohsin and I co-founded IFG in 2015 because we couldn't find content about personal finance and Islamic finance for Muslims like you and I. Nowadays, alhamdulillah, we reach an audience of hundreds of thousands and our goal is to keep providing great content to help you guys. So if you're looking for halal investments and Islamic mortgages or startup funding, check us out at islamicfinanceguru.com. And if you want to get in touch with us directly, you can get me on Mossin at islamicfinanceguru.com and you can get Ibrahim on ibrahim at islamicfinanceguru.com. Enjoy the episode. Looking for a different approach to money? Meet Gatehouse Bank a Sharia-compliant UK bank built for the modern world. We help home buyers to purchase or refinance their home, provide buy-to-let funding for landlords, and offer award-winning savings accounts. Wherever you're going, get there a different way. Get there with Gatehouse. To find out more, visit gatehousebank.com. Before we dive in, I'd just like to say a quick thank you to our sponsor, PensionBee. They have helped over 70,000 customers be pension confident by helping them transfer their all pensions together into one simple online plan. They also have a great Sharia compliant pension option as well, which is why we personally really like them. And you can check out a review of their offering on the Shure
1: side on our website. Bismillah rahman rahim assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh everyone and welcome to Islamic Finance Guru's podcast, Millionaire Muslim. Today we've got a very exciting episode for you and we've got a very special guest today and that is Usman Raul from uh, Hill Farm Finest. And we're going to be talking about the exciting topic of the Muslim halal meat economy, which is a very interesting thing indeed inshaAllah. So, I'd like to welcome my guest. assalamu alaikum Musman. How are you doing? Wa as
2: wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Alhamdulillah, good.
1: Glad to hear, glad to hear. You know, Osman, we know that, just good diving straight into the topic, inshallah. We know that Eid is around the corner and this is the time when people really start thinking about meat. You know, Eid al-Adha is the meat Eid, the Eid where people want to focus on food. So I think it's a very timely time to have this discussion. So just diving in, right? Muslims and meat. We know that as Muslims, especially I know from speaking from my own culture and from what I view of other cultures, that we've really loved eating meat in all our dishes. Whereas, you know, a few hundred years ago, it wasn't as much of a normal thing, right? It was more of a commodity. Is that true?
2: No, I wouldn't say so. I would say, I'm like First of all, your title of your program, Millionaire Muslim, is very deceiving. <laughs> <laughs> I'm nowhere near. I aspire to be one, but nowhere near achieve that as yet. So anyway, may
1: look, may look, uh, give us all the risk.
2: I mean, I mean, I mean. So with regards to the meat consumption, we as a people, as a nation, I think have always had the problem of consuming too much meat than we need. And that is very clear by the fact that I come from Pakistan. So I was born in the UK, but my parents are from Lahore in Pakistan. And I do recall visiting Lahore and when I was younger. And even recently, we have meatless days. Tuesdays and Wednesdays are meatless days. You can't buy red meat on those specific days, which just shows that we, as a nation, have always consumed too much meat than we need to. To be honest,
1: fair, fair point, fair point. I meant more in the sense that it, there was a time where refrigerators didn't exist, and yeah. if you wanted to eat meat, like you know, you had to go out there, get a cow, a hunt. I just slaughter it and everything was consumed. Now we have the luxury that I can buy a whole lamb or whatever, have it cut into the pieces that I want and then stick it in a freezer and then eat it over the course of a week or two weeks or three weeks. Whereas that just wasn't the case now. Do you see that meat consumption levels are definitely rising in the Muslim community since then? And would you say in modernity as well? Yeah,
2: as a nation... We are huge consumers of meat. You're right regarding the refrigeration and all that sort of stuff. So it would have to be fresh or you'd have to slaughter the animal yourself and then store it however you want to and utilize it over the period of time. With that not being the case, that's brought a whole host of other issues in the halal sector, which we are, first of all, oblivious to. And secondly, we just ignore because it's not our problem, i.e., is the meat halal? Where was it slaughtered? When was it slaughtered? How was it slaughtered? etc cetera, etc cetera, it's not your problem because you pass it on to the butcher or the abattoir and they deal with it if it's not halal it's their problem and these are all issues which are totally wrong because we have to as muslim uh, i know this is going slightly off topic and we'll come on to this but as a muslim the first duty that we have is to identify that the meat or the food that we are eating is halal that has to be halal and that's not just the means of slaughter but there's a whole host of points that make a product halal. But we don't look at that. Not our problem. Out of sight, out of mind. We don't see it. Don't look at it. Whatever we get, we go to the butcher, he says halal on his head be it. So our practices have changed. We are more of a hoarders now, so our freezers are full of meat. And then we still order more. But the practices have changed. But with those new practices, there's a whole host of issues that we have adopted that have destroyed our food hygiene and making food preparation which is a bigger issue.
1: Yeah I absolutely agree with that so just going into that I think you know a big big kind of trend shall we say that has been brought to the attention of many I'd say globally to everyone really is um, unethical farming practices due to the high demand of meat nowadays and with that we've seen the rise of a movement that has really pushed for these farming practices to be corrected, but I'd say on the whole other level spectrum, which I would say is the veganism movement. and They have brought to attention to a lot of people, especially to Muslims as well, about the kind of conditions that animals are kept in. And we Muslims, like you said, aren't aware, but we just go ahead and we find cheap chicken or cheap lamb or cheap beef or whatever it is, and we consume it. We don't worry about these things. So I know it's good you brought these things up. I wanted to backpedal on one thing that you mentioned. You said halal and what is halal. So I'd like you to go into a little bit more depth about what you view is truly halal and what other people might add account count as tayyib meat.
2: Yeah, tayyib is buzzwords, if you like, in the industry that tend to fly about from time to time. One of them is the tayyib, which the halal markets have picked up on to try and differentiate between premium, if you like, and not so. Now, from a Sharia perspective, halal is permissible, yeah? That's what we understand. Halal means permissible, something that we are allowed to do. In our eating habits or requirements, halal is vital because we are slaughtering an animal in the name of our Creator, number one. And secondly, we are following the slaughter process as defined by him so as a creator no one knows its creation better than the creator so allah Jalla has very clearly defined to us how to do halal now when he has said that he is specifically talking about the slaughter process the severing of the arteries of the neck the four main arteries that we sever. The blood stops reaching the brain, and that's when the pain is eliminated. And the body goes into the shock and the reflex action and goes into that convulsions, which they move, which the West perceive as barbaric and inhumane when they see that reflex action. All that is doing is throwing out the blood from the body and all the impurities from your body. As science tells us, once the blood stops reaching the brain, there's no pain signals, just a reaction of the body. That the body goes into a spasm and creates that movement which the West consider barbaric. But besides that, that is not good enough. And that's what's been the standard in the halal market is, Bismillah Allah Akbar, cut the arteries, job done. Yes, Sharan, job done. But Islam is much more vast than that and much more detailed because Islam fulfills the rights of everyone correctly as defined by the creator who created everything. So there is no uh, mistake in this process. The mistake comes from human, mankind, Mm -hmm. who interpret the laws incorrectly and then suit it for their requirements. Mm -hmm. And that is something that we as Muslims, we have to differentiate. Mm -hmm. Now, when we purchase an animal or when we go to buy an animal, Islam teaches us that the animal should be kept correctly. Feed it right. Don't chain it, you know, um, let it roam freely. No difference to what you and I would perceive as freedom. Yeah, roaming freely. Islam also then says that before you slaughter, give it water, you know, talk to it, be kind. Practically, these things are impossible. We also have examples of Muhammad Sallam well, doing the slaughter on the day of Eid where I remember, I, I think I read hadith where he there was a hundred camels to be slaughtered, where he slaughtered 67, I think, himself by hand. And then the, the remaining 33 were given to Ali anhu, who then slaughtered the balance. Now my point here is that they say that when he finished the slaughter, the ground looked like a battleground, i.e. blood everywhere. We as Muslims are saying in the UK, or we don't slaughter correctly, bring the animal in one by one, cover it, give it water, treat it well. These things are impractical. Islam does not lead us to impracticalities, but it does say do things with fulfilling the rights. So being barbaric and being in a way you're just churning things out to do them quickly to fulfill demand is also not acceptable. So I feel the only way to alleviate these issues, i.e. that we are barbaric and we are doing this and we are doing that, is limit the amount of slaughter the market can do correctly without compromise and not affecting your deen, and then there will be no other issues. The problem that we have is in the UK, we have halal slaughter, and then under halal slaughter, we have two further umbrellas, one being stunned slaughter, one being unstunned slaughter, Stun slaughter is only there for numbers to improve the process, get it quicker, and unstun slaughter is a slower process, but is done correctly according to Islam. But then again, it has to be improved because when the animals are slaughtered, that element has to be improved slightly so that the impact on the animal coming afterwards is not as bad as it currently is. So Islam is very clear in what should be done. Islam also is clear that if there's no other solution available, do not cause hardship to the public. So we find ourselves in a mixture right now where there's lots of practices going on, the public are not aware of what's going on, the public need to demand what they want as a slaughter practice, and then everything will fall in line. But right now, you have stunned, unstunned, and everything in between. To answer your question, Islam is very clear. arteries to be severed, slaughtered by a Muslim, by hand saying bismillah allahu akbar and that is it that is your islamic requirement the intricacies of animals seeing it or this or that are all subsequent discussions that need to be done on the academic level but do not affect the halal and haram
1: that's a very detailed answer Uh,
2: sorry man there is no shortcut regarding this i know it'll bore No, no
1: it's good it's good
2: humor has to drive this change now It is down to the consumer. I sit in a halal stakeholders meeting, and in this halal stakeholders meeting, this is organized by the UK government, uh, by the National Farmers Union, and within the NFU sits an umbrella called AHDV, and AHDV have an objective of promoting red meat worldwide, UK red meat worldwide. And within that AHDV sector, there's a halal stakeholder section, And I'm involved in that halal stakeholder section, as well as there's 20 of us up and down the UK, and all the certifiers are included in this. And believe me, an abattoir will slaughter stunned, and it will slaughter unstunned, and the same animals are going to the same butchers, and the same consumer is buying an unstunned product one day and a stunned product the next day. They have no idea. The butcher has no idea. And the wholesaler has no idea. And then you go back to the abattoir, and they have the idea, but no one's asking the question.
1: Wow. SubhanAllah. It's
2: it's a real messy chain, and the control all lies with the abattoirs. The abattoirs are owned, 90% white-owned. They would push stunned every day. And Muslims have a huge demand for non-stunned. So they can't fulfill it. So they will corners us to fulfill demand. And it's just a mess. So if I look at these figures here that I've got, so I've got some figures here for you cool. that I was looking at. It's a, it's a good time to just mention this very briefly. And it says the majority of the UK Muslims prefer meat from non-stun. Allowed slaughter of sheep represents 70% of the total animals slaughtered in Great Britain. Now, I think that's a massive statement. There's 4 million Muslims, 65 population, 65 million population of the UK, and 70% of the total animals slaughtered in the UK are halal, Mm -hmm. right? That is astonishing. And we cannot control stunned and unstunned. These guys are telling us eat stunned or non-stunned. We are driving the economy. So all the money being spent in this market is being done by the Muslim, and the Muslim has no control on what's coming out. It's shocking. Absolutely. It's shocking. And we Muslims don't care. And we're not even pushing to make sure that it's non-stunned only. And as you can tell, the passion in my voice tells the story.
1: No, mashallah. Um, I could definitely hear the passion in your voice and I'm loving it. And I think it's really important for us to see that the power that the consumer actually has. Because when you look at Muslims, right, when they want to push for a change, when you see something appears on the menu that shouldn't be or something was done wrong, Especially, I mentioned the vegan movement earlier, but I bring it back to them again because they have caused massive strides and changes in many, many products. I was literally looking the other day, I know this might be a bit of a silly comparison to you know the slaughter of animals, but just to show the effectiveness of veganism, like the round trees, what is it, fruit pastels or whatever that like, you know, as a kid growing up, they were like, oh, these have pork gelatine or beef gelatine in them, you can't have them, they're haram. You look all of a sudden now, all those same sweets are now all vegan. They're all vegan, all because this lobby has pushed for it. So we consumers actually have power. If we actually push for changes, businesses will follow to meet our needs and desires. They're going to do that because ultimately they want our money. So we have the final say in it, right? Absolutely. The Muslim
2: pound, the halal pound, whatever you want to call it, is of huge value. But there's another problem with that, is it? It's because the Muslim pound does not demand it. The Muslim pound will demand certain things and not certain things. The Muslim consumer will walk into a butcher and say, your chicken is $3.99. It's $2.99 next door. Why should I spend it with you? Oh, absolutely. Because they will differentiate between Primark and Gucci because that's something they're going to put on their body and they're going to look good. But what they're putting in their stomach and feeding their family and getting ill from it because we know majority of the illnesses that we get originate from the gut with all due respect if we're going to eat shite we're going to deliver shite it's as simple as that and a substandard product a cheap when something is being sold for 299 and next door it's been sold for 499 you have to ask the question why halal should always be more expensive because we go through a halal process the meat that you get in sainsburys and tescos should be cheaper than what you get in the halal market because we go through a, an extra process. But it's the opposite because the type of animal that we effectively buy at the market is the animal which is cheaper because it's substandard and low quality. And this is the differentiator between us and the butcher, if you like, is that we are an organization that sells to mainstream supermarkets like Waitrose and Marks and & Spencers and have done for the last 100 years because we are a fourth generation farm and direct to them, we are now saying enough is enough, Halal Market. You need to get access to good quality meat. And if you want it, here we are.
1: Right, right. We're going to come on to your business very soon because I really do want to deep dive into that. But before we go into that, I wanted to add a point that it's very true because I think everything that you've just said now, because what Muslims right now are... and. Maybe I'm wrong in this, but maybe perhaps it may be due to the kind of lack of education in terms of just food generally. Like I think, for example, when I think about my parents' generations and maybe the generations above them, when they go to the butchers, they're not looking at anything behind what they see immediately in the pack. Because when you look at a leg of lamb, when you look at a pack of a uh, chicken, or when you look at, you know, a boneless, you know, slab of beef or mince or whatever you want to put it at, you just see meat. You don't see, okay, was this grass-fed or not? Did this chicken have, a, you know, was it able to freely grange or not? Were these animals given antibiotics or not? You can't see any of that. Much like when children, for example, there's different types of sweets out there, right? There's yep. certain sweets that we know. Have lots of E numbers, lots of different chemicals, and have high levels of sugar. But the child, he just sees colorful packets. And I think that's what the education is essentially the main problem here that no one knows what they're actually putting in their stomachs.
2: Exactly. Exactly. It's a big problem. And I would say out of 10 calls I get in a day, two or three will be regarding health concerns. So they've been told by their doctor that they have to move to grass-fed or free-range or better meat and organic or grass-fed, whatever you want to call it. And they call me. The discussion is always very interesting because it shows that they've been purchasing, you know, the cheapest possible meat they can always buy without having any concerns. And the only reason why they have concerns now is because an illness has occurred. And this is something that we need to counter now. You know, we need to teach our children... That when they go out and source meat, they need to find out where was the animal born? What was the animal's father? What is its lineage? What is its breed? What has it been feeding? How does it live? Where was it slaughtered? When was it slaughtered? How was it slaughtered? How was it transported? How is it processed? You know, these are all questions that we don't have any idea about and very happily. We feed our children and our relatives the food. We're killing them. We literally are killing them.
1: True. And not to mention the rise of, you know, like chicken shops and all of these kind of things, which, you know, you're getting like eight chicken wings for a pound or whatever. Yeah. yeah. You, yeah. you can't even imagine what, what the kind of quality of that chicken is. Yeah, the chicken but is but right. just to push back on you, Osman, I just wanted to mention like, you know, to play devil's advocate, actually, is a for lack of a better term. Yeah. Um, some might turn around and say, "I don't have the time to sit there and ask questions about where the animals from. I simply just want good meat. How can they go about that? Because time is a commodity for many Muslims, and it's what all people actually, I should say, and it's what puts them off from doing things that might seem otherwise long winded. So, how do you strike that middle balance? Well, it's very simple because the important thing to
2: realise is that. We are what we eat. Yep, that's the first important thing. We are what we eat. These choices of food have to be brought back on the top of the agenda. It literally is that. Because until that happens, the focus will not change. The consumer has to realize what they are eating and how that's benefiting or not their health. It really is as simple as that the my non muslim consumers the questions that they have are far more advanced than our that our muslims ask and we set up the muslims we set up this business primarily to benefit the muslims but the muslim doesn't ask the question because he doesn't understand the importance this is the problem do you say time is of essence and this and that You would find and create time if you realized that I've been feeding my child this and the chances of that child getting ill with a disease is multiplied tenfold because of what I'm feeding it. Believe me, you'll do the research. But we don't say it like this. We don't tell people. We have a big problem in the Muslim community of telling each other how it is. We are very quick in picking up our faults. And very slow in recognizing qualities. And when we look at eating habits, we just need to look at the eating habit of our Prophet, Muhammad The best example to have lived in the world, Yeah, where he said two morsels, two morsels, that's two spoonfuls, is enough to keep your back straight. That is all we need regarding food. And then the doctors and scientists say that if you follow this advice, all the pharmacies of the world will be empty because there'll be no diseases.
1: Mm, So,
2: And then look at us as a nation. We die young. We die young. We know there's a hadith which says that my Ummah is between this and this age. Yeah, we know that because he died young. We know that. We know that. But we also know that for flip's sake, if we don't look after yourself, we're going to die young.
1: It's true. It's amazing, actually. I I live in a very non-Muslim area, or well in Chingford anyway. And I meet old people all the time. They're 80 years old, but they're out for walks, they're jogging, they look relatively young. And I know people of a similar age from an Asian background, but they can't move, they can't look after themselves. They're wrapped with illnesses. And when I ask them, well, what do you put your illnesses back to usually it comes up as genetics but I think there's a big play in the type of food we eat and what we put into our stomachs
2: yeah it's the food we eat and our general lifestyle we as a nation our lifestyle is not correct we know that and I'm talking as a nation I'm I'm saying Muslims as a whole so looking at Arabs us from the subcontinent we who are born here you know we are European in thought but we're Muslim yeah so we have a unique position where we can take the best from our countries and mix it with the best of this country and create a hybrid. where a good Muslim society, if you like. But it's the total opposite because this importance doesn't come till something happens. Or if we're interested in cooking, then you need to find somewhere, you know, who has certain intricate meats, which you can't get elsewhere and people will contact us. But primarily, it's not important. And so the agenda has to change. It's the mothers of our children who have to start finding out about what they're feeding their children and the fathers for asking the right questions, sourcing the right product. And it's not a shortage. I'll give you another example. You know, we know that we want good meats in the UK. We know that we lack good meats in the the UK. We struggle in finding them. We know that before we were around and other companies getting a decent ribeye was virtually impossible. But now, you know, you have options. But then there's people like us who are a farm, our own farm, our own product, our own breeding, our own, you know, everything we do ourselves, there's no outside elements, everything is done within the farm and done there except the slaughter, which we have to do offsite. but everything is controlled by us. And then there's other organizations who are selling halal products, but are buying it from Japan, Bulgaria, Holland, you know, Brazil, Argentina. You're reselling a product, you have no idea about any of the processes of that product, how they were farmed, how they were slaughtered, when it was nothing, 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 absolutely zilch. But because the product is beautifully marbled and it might have an Angus or a Wagyu labeled on it, they say, oh yeah, halal, buy it. This Mm. is a constant problem. You know, so when people say to me, you know, we buy our meat from the butcher, I say, well, don't compare us with the butcher because we're not a butcher. Or they say we bought our product from the supermarket. Again, not a comparison. Or we got it from a halal provider, who is selling products. There's quite a few now. Don't compare us with them. None of those guys own a product. They buy it, they label it, and they resell it. Mm. There is no skill in that. There is no pride in that. It's coming from Chile, or it's coming from Brazil, or it's coming from Australia. But with all due respect, it's not the same. Mm. So the Muslim consumer has to tear off the marketing bullshit and the blogger who's talking about it because he's got 1 million followers, and look at what they're trying to achieve with this product of food that actually is just going in their stomach and giving them nutrition. And that's the only objective for the food. What are they putting in their stomach?
1: Fair point, fair point. So while we're on the topic, let's dive deep into what made you start this business? Where was the conception of this idea and what drove you to this?
2: Well, I've always been a people's person sins you can say or reward (laughs) either or and you can take it both way because dealing with people is extremely difficult because you can never never satisfy everyone no matter what your intention is people will perceive it otherwise so that's the first thing you have to understand and as muslims we have a bigger problem we have a big problem with this a muslims doing well so we need to shoot him down so My main reason and only reason, to be honest, was to provide Muslims access to high quality meat. That's my mission statement. And that's the objective of the business.
1: For those that don't know about Hill Farm Fineness, what is Hill Farm Fineness? What do you produce? What is your product? What do you sell?
2: Well, Hill Farm is it's a completely authentic halal brand. There is actually nothing similar to us in the UK at all. Uh, even maybe beyond our model is quite unique because it's specifically been set up for the Muslims. So there's no greed in this project. It's a business to benefit the Muslims, simple as that. We breed and rear high quality cattle and lamb, two products. So lamb and, and cattle, two lines of production. Within the cattle area, we have a number of breeds. And in the lamb area, we have a number of breeds. We buy those animals from markets at young ages. So that's what typically happens in the UK. So you buy your animals at one, two, three months old. If they're, if they're cattle, they're a bit older, up to six months old. And then they are developed and grown onto the farm and bred. Uh, we have a combination of animals that are born on the farm and obviously we buy in from markets on a weekly, monthly basis. At any one time, we have about 3,000 cattle and 10000 lambs majority of our lamb go to marks and spencer majority of our cattle goes to waitrose we are breeders for them so we breed so there's nothing we don't slaughter for them we breed for the, our farm breeds for the likes of those supermarkets hill farm finest buys the same product from the same farm and then processes it on our farm and delivers it to your doorstep that okay. is what we do
1: Okay. So just to clarify for all our listeners, the animals that go towards Marks and Spencers and Waitrose, they are slaughtered by them. So therefore, they're probably not halal, right?
2: They are absolutely not halal. And also the reason why we don't mention uh, Marks and Spencers and John Lewis prominently and so proudly on our website, because obviously you you can imagine it's a huge USP, is... The biggest USP that we have and the biggest USP that I am proud of as a Muslim is that we do not stun our animals at the time of slaughter. We slaughter them as they should be slaughtered, according to the Sharia. I've got no issue with stunning, but I prefer the non-stun method because that is the correct method. Now, because of that, Waitrose and Marks and Spencers are totally against non-stun, totally against non-stun. They think stunning is barbaric, like the majority of the population of this country. So, for that matter, we don't mention their name openly, so that they don't have a conflict of interest on their side.
1: Fair point. You mentioned that your business model is unique, and there's nothing like it in the UK. Can you please elaborate on that?
2: Yeah. So, like I said, there's lots of organ. There's there's a few farms that are owned by Muslims, like ours. A couple, I think that are doing something similar, but are on a very low scale and not high quality animals. So crossbreds, you know, you're not looking at Angus or Wagyu or Herefords or anything like that. You're looking at crossbreeds. And then you've got us who are specifically focused on volume and high numbers and high quality, premium outfits. So we only slaughter the very best animals due to their lineages. So you have pure thoroughbred Angus's being the father's, and there's lots of caveats and intricacies that make an animal prime in its terminology. And we fulfill all of them. For example, the feed, the age, the age that they're slaughtered, the fact that they are and heifers, i.e. male and female at a certain age. The females have not given birth. The heifers have been, the steers have been castrated. Uh, they're grass fed. There's lots of reasons why the animals are given a certification of, of a prime nature. And we fulfill all of them. Secondly, there's no halal organization, and I mean no halal brand, halal brand that sells directly to the white consumer in a premium supermarket like us. So our products are available off the shelf as a Waitrose product. Yeah? Mm -hmm. Whereas, you know, there's no halal brand which Waitrose will buy and repackage and sell as theirs. That
1: makes our product very unique. MashaAllah, MashaAllah, may, huh. so,
2: may Allah keep my intention pure for his sake. That's I'm, the most important
1: thing. Ameen, Ameen. I so to move on, I think what you're doing is a great, we talked about the very important spiritual and health benefits of eating purer meat, right? Naturally, we know that economically, this is going to cost you more, but if you want better health, if you want the benefits of especially the spiritual benefits of knowing that your meat has come from an ethically produced source then you know that is something that people will have to pay up and it's a price worth paying but i wanted to ask you what do you see as the future of this sector this halal meat sector do you see muslims moving more towards consuming pure meat do you see there's a drive there or a change happening
2: yeah absolutely Absolutely. A huge fundamental change. And you can see that change just by examining. If someone wants to see the state of the halal meat in the UK, they should look at organizations like myself, like like your Palm Finest, and the stats. So to give you an example, 95% of my customer base is between 25 and 50 years old. Mashallah. Mashallah. So my father wouldn't even attempt to uh, order from Hill Farm Finest. (laughs) And neither would his brothers. But all of their children would. So we're looking at first, second generation who are consciously aware that they want to eat high-quality premium meat. And the fact that they have disposable income that allows them to do so, they're happy to engage. But that's... A small bracket, yes. Yeah? So if we're looking at 4 million Muslims. In the, So if you were to go now and do a survey amongst your followers or, or whatever, I would say 1 in 10 Muslim knows us. If that. If I'm that. Sure. Oh, let's open that up even more. So if we look at 50 and above, I would say 1 in 100. Mm-hmm. Yeah, And if we go 50 and below, maybe 1 in 50, 1 in 40, something like that. So we do no advertising. We do no marketing. We are all word of mouth. We have grown specifically by you eating the meat and you've told 10 people because the reason why you've told them is not because the packaging is fantastic and it comes from a farm. The reason why you've told people is because the food tastes amazing. The cooking time has reduced significantly and it's digested in half the time. So there's an impact. And that's why people have recommended us, not because we look good. You know, it's because it's the whole package that's benefited them and they want their family to eat the same.
1: Wow, I can definitely relate to that. And I think I might have to order a box now, (laughs) inshallah. But JazakAllah khairan, Osman, for coming on today's podcast and explaining the halal meat economy to us. I think it's a fascinating sector with lots of growth projections, especially as Muslims increasingly start to wisen up on what they're eating. We're definitely going to see growth on here. So JazakAllah khairan for coming on and do you have any closing thoughts to share with the audience?
2: No, not so evil, but to everyone, enjoy tomorrow with your loved ones and, and make du'a for us as a nation. We are hundreds and hundreds of years behind and we need to move forward uh, returning to our religion and learning about our religion. But when you go out and make any decision for your family or yourself, make a informed choice. Don't be a sheep. Don't follow what people say. We are Muslims. We have been given our deen, the Quran and the Sunnah and an intellect so we can make decisions for ourselves that are correct and benefit us and our community. So when you make decisions, on Muslims, make them with information to hand, not off the cuff and grow. Let's grow as a nation. Inshallah.
1: Inshallah. Once again, Jazakallah Khairan Usman and Inshallah to all our viewers if you've been listening, Jazakallahu Khairan, and we look forward to the next episode of Millionaire Muslim. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. If you got
0: this far, you must have enjoyed the podcast, which means you'll definitely love our other episodes and other content we produce as well, inshallah. Be sure to check out the website, IslamicFinanceGuru.com, as well as our YouTube
2: channel and social media. Until next time, assalamu alaikum.